right? I have all the fucking owlbears. Give me these direct owlbears. I want them in one package. Oh shit, Moxmania's got 12. Holy fuck, Gamers Guild has 79 foil showcase guild bears? Or owlbears? Fuck. Alright. Whenever Anyways, you're ready. guys. <laughs> you're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. Alright? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seat belts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 Cast. Starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Anyways, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This one, kind of timely. Uh, so I've actually been talking about it for a while, and I'm going to say some things on this episode that will be very shocking. Uh, and we're basically taking a look at Wizards of the Coast and their handling of the secondary market. Independent of the reserve list, we're not going to touch that. We did a few episodes on it before. Mm -hmm. You talk about it ad nauseum. We're not here for that. So basically, uh, the way that Wizards is reprinting, do we feel that it's the correct way to do it? And we're going to look at all the different ways that they are. So with that... Uh, for warning, I will say Watsy is doing something right again this episode, which is like the fifth time ever. Yep. Anyways, let's get it started. Yep. So we'll start up at the top with uh, Expeditions. So these are intra-pack inserts. And this is... I don't really know what better term to use for this as an umbrella, because Expeditions means the lands that we saw in Oath. It is the inventions, it's the invocations, it's the box toppers that we saw... Uh, with Zendikar, though that was uh, a little bit different. And for me, this entry into the secondary market kind of uh, fell a little short. This is more like a raffle. Uh, it definitely feels like gambling, and it seemed like Wasi could have definitely caught crap in Germany, I think, who has very strict rules. Uh, about this kind of stuff and it doesn't seem like it's a great entry into the secondary market from that perspective it was great for them to make profit on for these packs and create some interest but it feels more like the memorabilia inserts you see with sports cards where you will see not just signatures but game pieces uh, game worn pieces or game used pieces pieces of jersey or equipment like bats for baseball yeah, and I think that's important because, you know, those are the chase cards, right? And when you talk about your products like Kaladesh and Amonkhet and BFC, when you talk about these products, what's the thing everybody talks about? They talk about the expeditions, yeah, masterpieces, invocations, all that, because that's the chase. That's what you want out of the set. Yep. Uh, you don't really care about anything besides that because, great, they, that's what I want. They've got it all. And that's kind of the driving factor in a lot of these is literally just being able to have these chase cards. Mm -hmm. And personally, I think this is a way in which they're doing it right. Okay. Um, it doesn't have that much of an impact on the secondary market. No. But it does have some because all of a sudden people see these versions and they say, oh, this is what I want instead. Yeah. I didn't know this was what I wanted, but this is what I wanted. And that makes it a little bit more accessible for some of the lower-end stuff, because all of a sudden people that were priced out of that, well, when I upgrade mine, I'm going to get rid of my old one, mm -hmm. and that gets on the market. And I think that's one of the things they're doing that when I say they're doing it right, I mean they're taking into account 
not just the overall impact on the secondary market value, mm -hmm. but the impact of that price on vendors and the overall ecosystem. Because like it or not, they have to pay attention to that. Like those those vendors are so crucial for the ecosystem that they have to take it into account. And yeah, I, I think it's good. From that that standpoint, yeah, it makes sense. It allows people to pick up a foil version of a card they might have been priced out of previously, and it's an offering for both constructed and commander players alike. You know, uh, you might have commander players that will pick up a an aether vial but they won't pick up four they're probably not going to pick up the ornithopters but most constructed players aren't going to pick up the soul ring in the uh, masterpiece mainly because it's foil and it's difficult to balance a vintage deck from a foil non-foil perspective and it does create that that interesting opportunity for players definitely when i look at this for me it just doesn't scream like secondary market value is something to derive from these because it just seemed more like a cash grab i Be definitely think it's an unintentional like yeah. maybe they're doing it right that I, I will say that it is certainly a cash grab before I, anything else from the the standpoint of if i had to choose which one of these is correct i think the zendikar method is correct because it seems less like the um what's her name veruca salt from Willy Wonka, whose father is just cracking boxes of product looking for a golden ticket. It seems yeah. less like that and more like something that's meant for everybody to enjoy. You don't have to just spend money on packs ad nauseum to try and get an expo. You can buy a box and have a better, possibly a better experience doing it that way. And for me, that kind of uh, introduces a little bit more of a safer experience for the secondary market is something that's probably a little more enjoyable as well when you're shopping for cards to make your deck look the way you want it to because it's one per box it's not yeah for sure one per like one uh, four point something whatever the math was M moreover this isn't this was an awkward way to enter the secondary market by way of absolutely destroying limited <laughs> and anybody who played limited in the Amonkhet, and no, not Amonkhet, an hour. Those were like nigh unplayable. In Kaladesh and Aether Revolt, those masterpieces could just end a limited format. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Like, it was cool at pre release and those initial drafts because, hey, cool, something interesting was opened. And at the local scene, everybody wants to know when somebody opens it, but when you're there at a PTQ and you just watch the invocation float or the masterpiece float to the top it was kind of like above and beyond obnoxious um there's something else they did that we'll touch later that i think was better for the secondary market overall but um similar to expos we want to break it out and i'll let you know what that is from there though the next one secret layers to me i think this is one of the best ways they've done it because this is proof positive that not every product is for every person and you could basically buy what you want and the fact that it seemed like from the start they had such a good idea of what they needed to put in these that i could really only think of two that failed and the one is from the initial secret layer one is from the initial secret layer drop i haven't noted a secret layer red I think it's just called explosion sounds. Yeah. It's the one that's got like goblin sharpshooter and a bunch of other like weird stuff. 
Yeah. And the other one that I think flopped is their year-long experiment with the Zodiac. It hasn't even hit yet, but I, I also think it's a flop. Oh. It's so bad. Yeah. And to that end, people stopped asking for Synthwave lands. They stopped asking for full-text lands, so those might have flopped as well. So, like, the basic land ones might just be a miss overall, but in the grand scheme of things, I think that this stuff was a great way to enter the secondary market. When they do a lot of these drops where it's like, here's here's a bunch of cool drops from a lot of cool artists. Oh, and by the way, burgeoning is one and the rest of them are poopy. That's a little weird because it just seems like your commander players are going to go for burgeoning because that's the value. Um, But overall, I think secret layers is one of the best ways they've moved into the secondary market. It also means that for these, as opposed to the mythic editions were the, which were the precursor or what is what it was it mythic editions there's the two of them um, that have uh, the full yeah, art mythic plates. Editions. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, where one was on the Hasbro site, the other one was on eBay. There was no real limit. It was just an absolute race. Players against yeah. vendors against bots, Garbage. right? Yeah. I think the yeah. secret layer system and setup has also solved a lot of those problems. So to me, this represents the premier avenue they've really entered the secondary market in a very direct way. Yeah. Um, I my I love the secret layers. My main problem is the at will nature at which they print them. Mm-hmm. I I do think though that it is very clear with this product more than any product they've ever had. We obviously care about the secondary market because you can tell, you know, like you said, there were a couple misses. Yeah. Outside of that, like the Phyrexian Praetors, that was free money. I that, that was just free money to get as much as you wanted. Yep. You know, and every time they've done a charitable drop, it's been big. Uh, they get to theme it and target exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. The like metal album cover one was one of the sweetest things I've ever seen, along with the vintage tattoo one. Uh, yep. And it allows them to go after these like new and niche things that you know honestly are pretty cool, uh, and just be able to exploit the secondary market in some way. Yeah. There are two really good. There's there's another way to look at this too, and this is uh, I think it's a pleasant Kenobi point. These are basically reskinning the game. Yeah, it's like buying a skin for a character in a game you play. You get to reskin your experience, yep. and if you instead of looking at these as a financial vehicle like some people do, and you start looking at it like that, it also becomes a pretty interesting, not just thought experiment, but but a way to look at the product. Yeah, it's it's a really good like, I mean look. Like, Whatever you want to say about microtransactions, who cares? People do it. It is. It's an extra way for you to express yourself. And what's something we harp on all the time with picks is, you know, people love making their decks look cool. They just do. Absolutely, yeah. And here you go. You You get to make your deck look cool. Yep. Uh, After that, uh, we want to talk about reprints. And this is something you and I talked about before the cast where we thought about rolling it into the, the point that will follow this. And I suggested breaking it out. Um, and when I say reprints, and I'm the one I think that tossed out this bullet point, what I mean is what we used to see with core sets, where there was a rule for the new core set every year where it would be approximately 50% reprint. You'd get your Birds of Paradise, sometimes your Lightning Bolts, Wrath of God, Dark Rituals, things like that. So this is reprinting cards into uh, the standard environment because the core set was effectively the foundation for the next standard environment or was meant to help stabilize etc and 
Uh, I want to hear what you think about reprints so, like this. I think, as it stands, they're doing this poorly uh, for two reasons. Mm. One, they're just not doing them. Uh, two, I think that it might actually be impossible for them to do them and the re and for to do them well and yeah. that reason is because one limited doesn't happen in paper two standard doesn't happen in paper so even if they were to release a paper core set filled with these reprints uh you're not going to get them open and limited you're not going to have standard paper so there's no reason for people to buy these products unless there's chase cards in them i.e grim tutor stuff like that uh, which is a shame because i think one of the nice things incidentally to the secondary market influence that these sets had is the ability to print catch-alls into not just standard but any format yeah like if you want lightning bolt in a format uh you know what pioneer we kind of want to try out lightning bolt in it let's do a core set yep that gives you a venue to reprint these cards that are impactful on not just the overall financial structure but the game itself which can then have ripple effects throughout the financial structure yeah uh, but that's that's something that I don't think they're doing it right currently, and I don't know that because of the way they have set up the game, they would be able to do it correctly. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I agree. The The part about the core sets was that they were unthemed. They weren't attached to another set, a block, a plane, etc. Yeah. Now we kind of get that core set mentality spread throughout with some piecemeal reprints, but over time, they've even been sneaky about it in origins they reprinted smash the smithereens that was like an eight dollar uncommon because of modern because yeah. there was no other printing of that card and it was interesting to see that because that was kind of antithetical to hanger backwalker which was also in the same set but then also in red was an enchantment uh gear per aether grid where you can just tap artifacts to yep. uh whap your opponent for like whatever number of artifacts you tap divs to that, that's how much damage you would deal. And so they kind of got sneaky with that. They reprinted Landwar Elves, Elvish Visionary, Elvish Archdruid, stuff like that. The Titans were in the core set because they didn't have a plane and it allows them to experiment and then continue to re-up if they like the play patterns that they see in testing or they need to bring card they needed to bring cards in from these external sets. And the more we move away from that, the less we're going to get these direct reprints into the hands of players for whatever reason, be a player or secondary market. Looking back at things now, and you're like, okay, well, why was why were the wins from Nemesis, like Plague Wind and Searing yeah. Wind, well, like, why were those in 8th edition and ninth edition and 10th edition? And it's just like, we don't know, but apparently casual players loved them, so instead of just being limited, you just put them in, these, in this core set where it's 3,000 cards large. These sets are enormous, yep. and it just helps our players get their hands on these cards for kitchen table play. Yeah. But again, now that happens uh, through various other means, various other sets, and I don't think we're going to see, I agree, I don't think we're going to see reprints into standard like we used to because there is no dedicated slot for a core set anymore. And despite the fact that we're going back to Dominaria, which in theory could be a core set, it is not, and we are not going to see another one of these. Watsi's flip-flop on this a number of times, but every time they pulled it, they said the same thing, which is just it's too hard to develop a core set and make standard functional. So yeah. get rid of it. Sorry. Yeah. I did like the idea, though. It was great because it just set things up. Like, when they 
pulled Birds of Paradise from yeah. was it ninth? The Holy Twelve? Yeah. Well, no, it was like ninth, the... right? The set before yeah. Ravnica. Yeah. They announced that Birds of Paradise would not be in that core set. So there was like a three-month period for the first time in the history of the game where Birds of Paradise was not legal and standard, and people yep. lost their minds. Yeah, it was amazing. And Unironically amazing. And it came back in Ravnica with new art. So it just yep. took a little while. But that is, a, that is an example of a card that's going to keep trending up in price as time goes on because it's no longer available in core sets. There's no yep. place to put that card. And Watsy seems to not want to place it anywhere else but core sets. So we lose when it comes to yeah. stuff like that. And I thought it was, I thought it was great. And now they shifted to Poopy because they didn't do it anymore. Yeah. So big mistake in my opinion. Uh, but what do I know? Agreed. Master sets. This is this was the next bullet point that I mentioned earlier, where we thought maybe we lump reprints in with master sets. And I, I from what we've seen on based on. Modern Horizons, I think we're seeing iterations and not enough based on reprint. Like you look at the black pseudo deranged hermit, you know, and it seems like they're just kind of twisting stuff. They're not directly yeah. reprinting. So I, I thought the separation there uh, was important. Uh, injecting cards directly into the secondary market, seemingly based on whatever flavor the set is. Uh, yeah. Be it graveyard in ultimate be it commander in ema modern in the very obviously slandered slanted five modern sets yeah. how do you feel about this kind of so interaction this one's interesting uh <clears throat> in theory i think it's a great product uh i think they're very good because the targeted reprints can be good yeah i think in practice one of the most damaging things that's happened with these sets financially is that it has created the standard of completely devaluing foils uh, to the point where, in some cases, legitimately the non-foil version of the card is more money because there's way fewer of them out there. Yep. Yeah. Um, that is something that just like on a fundamental level, I take issue with. Mm -hmm. Just because like that's to me, and I know I'm just some guy who cares whatever. Uh, screaming into the void that's like not how it should work maybe I'm wrong but that's not how it should work uh, but I think that by and large their set checklists have been pretty solid mm -hmm. uh, I loved the timing of Jace being printed right around the time for the ban announcement or unbanning announcement uh, that was very cheeky of them but I think overall they're good. I think one of the issues I have, and this is highlighted a lot by Double Masters, is they have also turned into just a blatant cash grab. Mm -hmm. That's all they care about is the cash grab. Yeah. Um, and that's just frustrating because it's like, all right, well, this is, you know, it was supposed to be helpful for the secondary market. Now you're just charging a million dollars. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. When when I was thinking about this, to me, it it's not a needle. I don't think it's. I think that's just a yes or a no. Is this good for the yeah. secondary market? And what is the purpose of the product? And the way the master sets stand now, when you're looking at double masters and you're not looking at injection sets like modern masters, it definitely seems like it's a cash grab. 
guised as a draft format. And this hark this harkens back to I think the episode we did right around the new year of if we were somebody it has with power, what would we do in regards to Watsi? And like the point I signed off on was they have absolute power over the prices of these packs, and it's ridiculous to charge as much as they do yeah. for a pack that's full of rancid shit. Yeah. And and make no mistake, they're almost exclusively filled with rancid shit. Yep. Uh, it is it outside of quad masters. It is very difficult to get value out of these packs. Mm-hmm. And as such, if they wanted to make this and a cash grab set and lean in, then cut down the amount of sh- like fluff in the packs. Yeah. Don't guise it as a draft format and just make it a high powered pack. You know, uh, there was what is it? The, is it the dark? That was eight cards. Fallen Empire, something like that. Like the Dark Fallen Empires, Homelands, Homelands. Alliances. No, no I, I think, think that was because it has the oh, U one two threes. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, that was ended. There's a way to draft those eight card sets. You could still do it. It's just friggin' weird. We draft two cards a pack for the Commander Legend stuff. They could have done yeah. something else besides fill these car these packs with poop. I love getting Ravenous Trap as my rare. Oh yeah, that was really good. Was UMA one, or sorry, two X, double master. Yeah, two X on one. Yeah, fantastic. That's a, that's a great rare for limited. Yeah, people are finding that to get value out of their collector's booster boxes, they have to hit on at least one of them. They can't all be middling. Yeah, like you can't open moderately. One of them, ha- if you can open like three of them moderately, and one just has to fucking bang it out of the it has park. Has to be a absolute banger yeah. yeah but you can definitely open a pack that's worth between 10 and 15 dollars after spending like 70 or 80 on it and yeah. i think it's this disparity in price that makes master sets like that garbage for entry into the secondary market it becomes yeah. an, an absolute cash grab but the dedicated reprint sets i thought like ema and the horizon sets have been really good although the point of the horizon sets is not to inject old cards but new ones um, modern masters started to tail pretty quickly uh, at yeah. the third one. I think there were fetches in it, but that was basically the highlight. It tailed really quickly, um, but they were—I think they were a great, great way to get into it because that was a draft environment. The packs were a little more palatable. They were like ten dollars yeah. each, so it's like cool. Eventually, as that stuff tailed, so should the price. And I thought we would see another EMA before too long i guess the double master sets really are what we're seeing but i thought ema was another great way to get things in because that was the first reprint of force of will that was the first reprint of rishan and port of vault yeah Uh, it was a really good like here is us targeting the stuff that should not be nearly as expensive as it is yep will it that we can target yeah, you know, and I, I thought that was reserve list is a thing. Yeah, and I thought that was a much better way to get cards into the hands of players than what we're yeah. seeing now with these master sets. So I think they did a great job at the start, and now it's just become cash grabs, and I don't like where it's heading. If yeah. they wanted to make these expensive packs, then they should juice it, and I think you know that's fine. You have the ability to be pinini if you want to. You, know, you yeah. own everything about it. You can either do it or don't. It's on you, and then. Well, the- Oh, good. Oh, I was going to say, and one of the other things, you know, talking about how that was done properly, I think the biggest, to me, the biggest part that 
happened properly with Eternal Masters was the print run. It was just good. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it had a good production run. Yeah. Uh, so. We're hearing rumors of a trickle in from a second wave from Distro into a lot of LGS. It looks like right now Europe's getting the shaft. Uh, it's yeah. a very small uh, allocation. I don't know what's going on with the U.S., but there may or may not be a full wave coming after Big Box gets gets theirs. And we lean to the fact that we believe that there would be another wave after that. And if there is not, then this was just an obvious cash grab and a terrible, terrible way to inject anything into the secondary market. Yeah. And then the last point that we wanted to separate away from Expeditions and kind of what kicked this all off, Hidden Treasures. Yeah. So... For those that don't know, do you want to explain what Hidden Treasures are? Yes. So, with the original, I believe it was Worldwake and Zendikar, way back in the day, uh, Wizards of the Coast, basically through a large company that has a lot of former Wizards employees at it that we won't name, was able to acquire cards from the secondary market. And what they did was they said, hey, this is our anniversary. This is a big deal. We're going to seed these cards into packs of the first wave of this product. And what they did was they bought up high-end reserve list. You know, dual lands, power, force of will, not reserve list, but still high-end, uh, mana drain, stuff like that. That was a pretty high price point that hadn't actually been reprinted ever because this was, you know, early 2000s. So mm. no one had even sniffed the thought of reprinting force of will or mana drain because at the time they were like 50 to 60 bucks and eh, we don't, you know, that's that's expensive, but it's not a lot. Uh, so they were dropping these cards into packs, and it was only the first wave of that product, but it was a way for them to basically, it was kind of the first way they did it in mass, try to influence prices of cards on the secondary market. I don't know how much I like it, and here's why. Uh, in order to satisfy this, they bought cards off the secondary market. Yes. So... You didn't actually change the supply at all. And I get that with the reserve list stuff, obviously they can't change supply. Uh, I do, however, like that they are taking them from merchants, basically, uh, and potentially getting them into the hands of players. Yeah. Because even if the player doesn't hang on to it, the thing that that does when someone goes to a pre-release at a store and they open a Black Lotus or they open a workshop or a bazaar or a foil Japanese fetch land, they see that and they're like, man, that was really cool. This store got me that card. Yep. And all of a sudden that forms like a brand allegiance. And I think that is good, but that is completely unintentional to what they were doing. So this one is kind of a needle for me. It's kind of a push. I, It's not really wrong. It's not really right. It's just them, you know, kind of towing that line of... Well, we can't reprint the reserve list because the reserve list is the reserve list, mm -hmm. but we want to do something about it. So let's do this. Yep. I, yeah, I think it was a, a neat surprise uh, yeah. overall. And yeah. I thought it was it was really cool to do the one time it took place over... If memory serves, it took a year plus to do this because... The buy for this was at Origins and Gen Con. Those were the guaranteed yeah. ways to find the cards in the conditions. I don't think anything went into those packs that wasn't close to near mint. Yeah. And so it took a while a while to do. So this 
this plan had been in the works. And I like that. I like the idea that it was for a set that mattered for the company. And I like that Watsy sourced the uh, these cards from the community because it was an interesting way to kind of shuffle history around from the people that might have opened these cards, loved them for so long, yep. wanted to give them back essentially to players, and that there was an immediate out to do that. Is this something I would expect overall to continue to happen? No, I wouldn't. And one of the reasons is because the the price is exorbitant for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can't go back into the secondary market like you did. You have to go back into your backstock. So Watsi has to start opening their own product, crack their vault, essentially. And so now you're looking at, okay, is this prestigious enough like the beta draft to open up our vaults and opening up boxes of revised to get, you know, the 10 duels and then a bunch of hoo-ha is that's been reprinted since not the greatest option. Uh, Cutting sheets of legends is an interesting proposition because while they have the opportunity to technically be factory cut, if they're sent to Carta to just slice up, the dies are different for the corners. So it's not going to be quite right. So then it's technically not factory. Like there's a whole lot of odds and ends that goes with this. I think we've passed the time and I don't like what this did to Zendikar itself. Yeah. Boxes of Zendikar are astronomically expensive but the value on the set on the whole is about $200 I'll rattle off the five most expensive cards real quick it goes Scalding Tarn, Misty Rainforest Mindbreak Trap, Valakut Blood Chief's Ascension, that's it and that's yep. from 30 down to 20 after that it's the rest of the fetch lands, this set tanks rather quickly yep. and we don't know the entire list of cards that were sourced because it was a curated yep. list that Watsi gave. We don't know how many of each card were acquired, and we don't know how many of each card made it into these packs. But now Zendikar boxes are so prohibitively expensive that whatever goal this was was partially met. It will never be fully met because people will, ne- will never be able to open all these boxes. Yeah, It just becomes an incentive to hold because there could be a Lotus in that Thar box, and that's $15,000 on the CK buy list, I think, right yeah. now, an unlimited. Like, why? Why? So why would you crack that? Yeah. Why? Yeah, and at, so at the end of the day, 15600 20 in trade. Um, I don't, I agree. I, I think this was a piss-poor way to inject anything into the secondary market besides a thank you. Yeah. Like, Everything you said is accurate. Um, we had like a 50-person pre-release. Uh, we were lucky enough to have one of the cards open. It was a Valk. Nice. And it was great. Way better than any expedition or invocation or masterpiece that, yeah. that was ever opened at a pre-release or a draft for that same store that I've been to. And it was just really cool in the moment moving forward i think it loses that mystique and it just falls off a cliff and it just becomes this terrible terrible thing to do uh history is cool when it is affordable and when it is available for the parent company but yeah 
it's there's a difference between what sports card companies do and what Watsy does at a foundational level. Yeah. It's a ga- this is a game. It's not just a collectible for trade. Yeah. And I think that difference means the world between what sports cards can get away with and what Watsy can get away with and hidden treasures is something that they cannot get away with again because so much damage can be done to those individual sets immediately. Yeah. Right? This and is... I, I think... Sorry, go ahead. My apologies. Yeah. So, just to, to to wrap it up on that for me, like, I opened a Verdant Catacombs that sold for $5 day of. But that, that box of Zendikar was way over MSRP immediately. Yeah. That... that is going to happen again people want people and rightfully so had disdain for what was going on in the secondary market with the price of 2x2 the, yeah. the more spoilers went on what happens when that's in the standard set now now everything does it does everything like that is the same the price of the singles tank as uh, others open boxes as they can so that devalues the primary set but then also does this weird thing where it's inflationary to the sealed product. And I think that is just a terrible side effect. Yeah. And I, I think one of the other, you know, as an aside, one of the other reasons that I think this is bad, specifically for Wizards, not because of any impact on the secondary market, is that this forces a discussion about the reserve list every single time they do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they want to keep having that conversation. Yeah. Because or, it's it, it, there is no way that they can please any everyone. It correct. is just a yeah. losing conversation on their part. Yep, ab- absolutely. And the longer peop- people keep talk, a lot, talking about it, the less they're actually talking about it and engaging with the game in a way that they want. Yeah. yeah. It, that is uh, a weird way. Uh, a weird side effect as well that was not immediately something that I thought about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anything else you'd like to touch on? No, I think that's it. Um, you know, looking back at the the comparisons I had for sports card stuff, I think it all lines up it know, does, pretty yeah. well. I don't think there's anything that Watsy does that companies like Tops or Leaf or Upper Deck don't already do. They're not breaking new ground with this yeah. kind of stuff yet. And now we're going full on sports card because we have serial numbered viscera here. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> The persistent petitioners aren't serialized, but they all have unique art, so it's like a weird pseudo serialization. Yeah. yeah, they uh, they would be considered short prints or super short prints or case hits in the sports world, but it's unique art that only exists or alternate frames that only exist on a very rare basis. So they're very similar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good for picks if you are. Let's do it. All right, I went first last week, so you can go all first right. this week. I'm gonna surprise everyone with my pick mm-hmm. because it is a casual EDH all-star. Yes, I am okay. Uh, I am specifically saying Kalia from Double Masters. So the reason I'm saying this, uh, m- a lot of Double Masters has started to bottom out and some of it has started to recover. Dockside started recovering quickly. Imp Seal started recovering quickly. That's super high-end stuff. Recovered quickly. Yeah. Uh, but Kalia is kind of interesting. So we're hitting a bottom out on this card right now. 
where we've got low on the base 2x2 version uh, or double masters version sorry at like ten dollars eleven dollars for 2x2 that's yeah, pretty so good that's that's great that is literally the most affordable this card has ever been uh now obviously 2x2 does not have a huge population of cards out there it wasn't a big print run uh, we may get a reprint at some point but right now it's not reason i'm picking kalia and this is insane to me uh according to edh rec she's the 12th most popular commander in all of magic yeah she has maintained a price point of 20 plus dollars for a long time we're finally getting to the point now where we're hitting half of that at ten dollars this card hits every casual note you could possibly want to have uh angel de tribal demon tribal dragon tribal she's not really an angel or demon but she's a cleric that has bat wings she lets you cheat fatties into play she has a two card combo with master of cruelties all of these are things that are great when you're playing at casual tables where players don't believe in interaction because they're bad uh and that's why i think this card's insane yeah because looking at the price graph on every single version of this card, it's just a steady incline. Yeah. Now, I will say one version I am not targeting is literally the original Double Masters Showcase. There is no movement to this card except up. There's no back and forth. There's no nothing. Uh, in terms of long-term prospects, I think this card is great because angels, demons, and dragons are something that are eternally relevant. Yes. Yeah. In Magic the Gathering. Yep. We always get angels, we always get demons, we always get dragons. Hell, they're storyline points. You know, in the last three sets, we've had, you know, Giada is in the storyline, uh, Terror of the Peaks, you know, there's dragons everywhere. Yeah, all there's the, demons everywhere. We just they came out of Kamigawa, have. which had the dragon cycle and some other yeah. incidents, and we just came out of New Capenna, which has Giada, and then beyond that, all the demons. Demons, yeah. So it's something that seems like every set, Kalia gets a new toy. And it's only a matter of time before something similar to Master of Cruelties happens again. Now, if you take a look at buy lists, adoption, quantities, we've been pretty steady over the last week, especially on TCG. Now, the thing that re this really got me thinking was I expected this to just skyrocket in terms of quantity. Uh, so since the Double Masters 2 release, uh, the Double Masters 2 version of this card had originally 182 listings. Uh, we are currently at 116. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's drafting this set. Everyone's doing everything they can to get their hands on this set. And the supply is steadily dwindling. Uh, so yes, recession gonna recession. But the one thing you can count on is that casuals will continue to drive the Magic the Gathering market. Yep. And this card screams casual. It also screams 75% Battlecruiser. Uh, but in terms of quantity, again, this is an EDH card. I don't want more than four or five of them yep. uh, if I'm going to try to actively churn them. If this is something I'm going to sit in a box and forget about, I'm probably going 10 to 15 deep. Yeah, uh, I have seven right now because that's what I've gradually picked up over time. All of them are in a box that I just put there to forget about. Uh, and this is literally stuff that I've acquired, you know, since 2021. Uh, I didn't really get any when it skyrocketed, like middle of last year or whatever. But 
it's stuff that I've sat on because I think this is an incredibly good long-term hold. So in terms of timeline, again, a little bit more of a long-term hold. Mm-hmm. Not only because, well, yes, we, you know, recession, etc., uh, but because I don't think this is the kind of thing that barring something incredibly unforeseen, you know, obviously grindstone skyrocketed as soon as we saw painter servant outside of something like that. I don't think there's very quick growth on this card. It's just a steady gainer and on steady gainers. My timeline's usually like eight to 12 months. Check on it, yep. see where we are and reevaluate. Yep. Uh- and the other thing I want to point out, and um, I've got the grass up for the original uh, Double Masters version, is that this card does not suffer reprints poorly. No. It actually, it took a little while for the 2x2 to come, like, it was at 30, because that's what the original one was. It dips, it troughs at a price that's uh, higher than market for 2x2. So to your point earlier, yes, this is the cheapest we've seen Kalia. And eventually, it just kind of ticks up, and a lot of the the quick upticks we see in this graph are sets where they introduce a ton of either dragons or demons, because we haven't had a, a, a really great angel set. Call Time didn't do yeah. a lot for this card, but heading into Strixhaven, boop, there's our jump, and now we just stay at a steady slope upwards from about 15 all the way to 20. We see the dragons come in with neon dynasty so we the slope changes drastically and then that huge jump at capenna with the demons and angels we get there and eventually setting in after spoiling for 2x2 so i do expect that to happen again where once we do find that balance that equilibrium that bottom point we will eventually see that kind of slope again for kalia i don't think this is a card that will ever be printed too many times i don't think we'll ever we'll, we'll ever suffer that because this card can just do so much. You can be really aggressive with it and look to end, look to end the game quickly, or you could just play Sarah Angel after trigger and Shiv and Dragon. Like that's another way to play this card. So it spans the gamut, and the, something I like about the card overall, I think it, that's one of the things that gives it legs. It makes it appealing to keep in a binder for trade. Yep. Uh, not a lot of people have the opportunity to even see that card because it was in the original Commander printing anthologies one of the other small reprint commander sets, and then these double master sets, which are pretty large. So there's the opportunity that these just don't exist locally. So whether you hold it for the long term, you're looking for and churn from a binder, I think this is a really good look and something that should just be profitable over time. Yeah. I don't see how it's not. Yeah. For me, I am continuing continuing along a cycle that I've been working on, but I think we end here Ooh. with this cycle. We're only going to make it three fifths of the way through because the white and the black one are uh, no good. Okay. So to go along, wait, maybe I picked the white one. I can't remember. I picked the blue one. I picked another one. We're not picking the black one. This is the green one, Court of Bounty. Ah, yes. So. This is a card I've had on my list to watch for about a year. I finally got the opportunity to play with it in the Commander Legends draft in the last couple of weeks. And I finally had the time to evaluate it and watch the some interesting ha- happenings with the numbers. And this is all kind of pushed me to say, like, now is the time. You know, we want to get well ahead of what could happen with this card. 
So Court of Bounty is one in a cycle, and all five of them do partially the same thing. And that is when it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. So you either create the monarch or you steal it. After that, they have an upkeep trigger that changes depending on whether or not you have the monarch. And so that's how we are evaluating them, mainly on their unique triggers. But becoming the monarch or taking the monarch is not to be understated when it comes to these cards. So... Court of Bounty's trigger says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you're the monarch, instead, you may put a creature or a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Okay, so as far as commander playability goes, what are we looking at? And you think, well, maybe on the surface level, this is a card that should have a home in most or all green decks as a value card, because who doesn't like playing an additional land? But when you take a look at Wreck, instead it seems to belong in more go-long or go-big green decks that want to play a longer game. So we're not looking to end the game quickly with this card. We're looking to accrue that value over time. But it's not like this costs a lot. It's two, two and double green. You know, you can no. hit this on turn three pretty reliably, turn two off of turn one Sol Ring. So it's not like we're looking at a card that's going to take forever to get to, something like Mono Reflections. Now, as far as uh, EDH, uh, Commander on the Whole, is concerned, you know, the courts are a unique cycle of cards that offer a scaling trigger, but also initiates or steals the Monarch. And I'm going to mention this, like, a bunch of times because I think that gets overlooked. Yeah. And that makes evaluating them a bit difficult, as you have to assume that you'll primarily be resolving the trigger not as the Monarch, and as such, Court of Bounty, understandably, features prominently in green decks that like to play a longer game. There are better, faster ways to put lands into play before the four mana mark. So if you're going to play a green deck that wants to get to the board quickly, this is very low, or not even, in your ramp suite. Yeah. Right. So that's why we're looking to play a longer game here, is because when you're not the monarch, the, result, the trigger doesn't do a whole lot if you want to play a quick game. So decks that want to take advantage of additional land drops, either for landfall-esque shenanigans or enter the battlefield trigger reasons, so think Kadama of the East Tree, as well as decks that just want to play a large number of high-costed threats is where I expect this, because Court plays into that strategy regardless of whether or not you're the Monarch. All of those decks need a lot of land. They want additional lands on the battlefield. It doesn't matter how they get there. Or in the case of landfall, you do just kind of like want to one, two, three, punch somebody out and Court of Bounty is an additional land drop that you don't really have to worry about. It comes as an yeah. enchantment. It's not Oracle of Maldaya or Dryad of the Elysian Grove, so it's a little more difficult to interact with. That makes it pretty decent for something like that. For like any one of the Omnoth decks, for instance. So while we're evaluating... Court, as mentioned earlier, we have to remember that this can create the Monarch, which brings a new aspect to each game. It can speed games up and force interaction, and that carries in its own, uh, with it its own unique benefits and adds to the value of cards like this. I'm not quite sure of how to weigh that when looking at the courts. Now, when we looked at the blue one and maybe the white one or the red one, but it is something I do have to take into consideration now when looking at the other two cards and some of the other cards that just create or 
steal the monarchy. And it's going to be, you know, a little interesting. We might see some of those pop up from here and from time to time, but this is just kind of something new that I now have to deal with. And I kind of like that pulling from the spec. <laughs> um, now, as far as the, the price of this card goes, we are, we're not quite dumpster diving here. We're, we're not taking uh, your penny specs away from you, but we're getting close, right? So the market on this is 79 cents. There's 446 on TCG player. Card Kingdom is buying 77 at 45 cents. So, you know, we're looking at 50% of the price. You know, Card Kingdom's percentage is spot on for a card that's not streaming out the door. So why are we picking this now? Well, because at one point, <clears throat> Card Kingdom, while they were buying this card for almost twice as much, 80 cents, so when it was selling for $2 on TCG Player, was only buying 49 So the buy quantity has doubled. And that's what we're looking at. Right? So, timeline. Whilst the CK Bialis and TCG price have both dropped, the CK buy quantity has risen, but that doesn't really help us predict the timeline. Corded Bounty has been flat for about an entire quarter now after just tailing off, and I wouldn't expect a rise in price until a large quantity disappears. But based on available sales data, even at a current rate of 750 copies per quarter, it would take almost six months to put a serious dent in supply. So we're really looking at about Q1 2023. That That's what I expect, is it's going to take another two quarters of pulling almost 1,500 out of TCG player before we actually see a, a rise in price. And then I think this is going to take off. The reprint equity on these, I think, is super low um, yeah. because they're a cycle, so maybe in a commander deck. But I don't know if WotC cares more about the initiative from Baldur's Gate compared to the Monarchy now. So if they do like the initiative more because it forces them to interact with a particular dungeon that they like for whatever reason, then we might no longer see the monarchy. So again, reprint equity is a little difficult to figure out, but I would expect to see this nowhere else on a commander deck coming up. These were not the greatest cards for a limited. No. The cycle is kind of poopy. Uh, as far as buy quantity is concerned, for the current price, and ability to churn these and trade fairly easily to green players, I'd feel fine dumping like fifty dollars in and just letting it ride. I don't know how many yeah. copies that gets you, but I just pick a dollar amount and buy. Currently, I've got the few copies I've picked up from CL drafts, but I'd be happy to pick up more and put them alongside the other courts that I've talked about as picks in my spec box. Um, and then I have a note because I was like one hundred percent that you would mention um, foils. Yeah. Uh, Card Kingdom is buying the foils at the same amount. Yep. Because these are the worst foils. They're so bad. They're, they're abject garbage. They, they come out of the pack curled. You just can't. These, these, these foils are dead. So speaking to a point that you made much earlier in the podcast where the regular versions are going to be more expensive than the foils because of like whatever weird pack math Watsi has put in yeah. place between like C collector boosters and set and draft, blah, 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 blah. The regular is going to be worth more than the foils because they're not fucking Pringled. The Commander Legends is literally the reason that they had to come out and say if your foils are curled less than this amount, they're near mint. Yeah. It's dumb. It's terrible. So at the end of the day, I'd just stick to regular copies for this card. Now, Same. And we, like I said, I might re revisit the rest of the courts, but I think the white one and the red one are are yeah. are bad. The red one just like zonks you for seven. The white one makes a four four, 
The blue one is the good one. It's the mill one. Yeah. <clears throat> that was that C's playing Legacy. I thought the black. Maybe we picked the black one. I can't remember what it is. I believe to date I picked three of these cards. You oh, definitely picked the blue one, uh, for sure. And I can't. I think you picked the black one as well. That's fine. I'm gonna figure this out because it's gonna bother me. But the buck stops here when it comes <laughs> yeah. to these courts. We're done. So, and the one thing I will say is I think reprint equity. It's the initiative matters. The other thing about this is it can be in a commander set, but it really needs to be in a set. That, there's two reasons it needs to be in a set that cares about royalty. Yeah. One is it gives you the monarch. Uh, second is they're called courts, and it's referring to like holding, holding court. court. Yeah. Which is something you do as a monarchy. So barring yeah. the only other thing besides a commander deck would be maybe a conspiracy set. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But they've kind of made it clear by printing them in a Commander Legends set, they don't really care about Conspiracy anymore. Yeah, because that's uh, Commander where... Legends is there because it's their product. Where Queen Marchesa was, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a product that they care about. Uh, so that makes it incredibly relevant for them, and I think that's why you'll see maybe in a Conspiracy set, but there's no way it's printed in a standard set. Just yeah. absolutely no way. Oh, no. Yeah, Monarch that... is a mechanic that I legitimately think would break standard. I, I just think the commander sets are a place for them to experiment with keywords, yeah. and they shifted from from this to initiative because of D&D, &D, but the initiative happens... Uh, it's so, different. Like, you don't draw yeah. a card every time you become the Monarch. When you yeah. take the initiative, you move through the dungeon, and yep. it feels like that system that they've built... It might not be the initiative moving forward, but that system, whenever you uh, initiate or take whatever it is, that this is better for the player experience overall because you're always doing something. You don't have to wait, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is something that, that they're leaning into, into. I picked the white court last year, like almost lit, like uh, 13 okay. months ago. And I think it's because I got, I have to go back and listen the uh i was on a roll about that stupid card from return to return to return to rav that turns all your tokens that you create into like some big dumb angels yeah yeah i think i was hanging on to that so but that's court of grace i i Solid. will i will not be talking about the white uh, ha, the black or the red one <laughs> that i know for sure um yeah and if you haven't had a chance to play with Court of Bounty, even if you don't want to spec on it, but you do play some Go Long Green decks, I would recommend it. The the incident, yeah, the incidental ramp is great. And if you've never played a game with a monarchy, this is a very <clears throat> low impact way to do it. And yeah. it doesn't draw a lot of ire like some of the other initiators or or some of the other uh, takers, if you want to think about yeah. it that way. And so I think this is also just a, re a really good play experience overall, too. So. That's fair. I dig it. Anything else this week? I'm good. Are you? I am good as well. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. You are? At Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.